Enlorn. And I'm Donna Grace. Welcome to the Life Rebalanced Podcast. And welcome to today's show. On this episode of Life Rebalanced, we are talking about something that all of us should be doing on a regular basis, though I have to admit I'm not always as good about it as I should be, which probably just puts it in the same category as a lot of the habits I try to work on. But we're talking about budgeting. So as financial planners, we know that budgeting is really at the foundation and at the heart of any financial plan we're doing. And in the same way, we look at our schedules where we take the approach of maybe paying ourselves first or planning our schedule first around what's really important to us we are applying the same sort of philosophy to doing your budget. Because really when it comes down to it, your budget is a math problem, right? There are variables to deal with. But we really think that you can take it beyond that. You can make it more personal. You can make it more interesting. And hopefully make it something that you want to you know, have as a regular part of your practice for your own household or your own business financial planning. So Lauren, let's talk about budgets. What is a budget? What's like the basic elements of creating a budget typically? First of all, budget is not a four-letter word. (laughs) It is a six-letter word, but (laughs) honestly, as financial advisors, sometimes I think we get a bad rap. It's like people equate it to going to the dentist where you don't really want to go. That's how we feel about budgeting because the default view of it tends to be something that is restrictive and going to prevent me from doing the things I want to do. And in reality, a budget really is freeing and it allows you to know that you're allocating your resources toward the things that are most important to you and are making progress toward achieving your goals. Because the budget and the resources you have coming in and how you're allocating it is the fuel that drives the car, so to speak, the car being your life and the lifestyle you want to lead. And that's where you said it's the underpinning of everything that we do. We can start high level and talk about retirement and your big goals and all those things. But when you drill down, it's leveraging the difference between what you have coming in and what you're spending that fuels all of those goals. Yeah. And You know, as with everything, if you want to take an approach of being very intentional with your budget, you can shape it around accomplishing your goals as opposed to making sure everything works out to be balanced at the end of the month. Because that's really, I don't know, it just sounds sad to me when I think about a spreadsheet. Like sometimes spreadsheets can be exciting, sure. But when it comes down to it, when it's your, your money, I love the idea of thinking about it as directing your money, as opposed to, I know some people look at it as, oh, just seeing what I have left at the end. So I think it's important to first start and look at what the elements of your budget are, that you start with your income piece, right? So what are all of your inflowing sources? What do you have to work with? And then you're going to take that income and apply it or allocate it to outflow. So you have fixed expenses, you have flexible or discretionary expenses. Then you have, I don't know if you want to describe it as emergency or unplanned. It doesn't have to be an emergency. It could be like an opportunity, but unplanned expenses or unplanned spending. And you have savings. And they don't necessarily have to go in that order, but you have the inflow piece and then those four areas that I would consider directing money to. And, you know, you may have some others too, but I think those are the the most basic ones that most people are dealing with. And for me, I look at those four pieces 
And your fixed expenses, for the most part, are not necessary. Well, I guess to a degree, they're values-driven. Sure. I'm going to talk about that. I would say the others tend to be more values-driven when it comes to your flexible and discretionary expenses, when it comes to unplanned expenses and that kind of spending, and then your savings is definitely going to be values-driven. So maybe it'd be a good idea to kind of run through those areas and talk about some examples and how they may reflect your values. Absolutely. Well, and I think from a starting point, you and I would tend to recommend that you do actually start with savings. Yeah. So looking at your long-term retirement goals, your shorter-term goals, whether it be saving for a down payment for a house or Mm -hmm. saving to pay for a kid's college education, a wedding, whatever it is you're saving for, just like we pay ourselves Mm -hmm. first with our time, you want to pay yourself first to make sure you're achieving those long-term goals. And then that gives you the ability to be a little bit more flexible with those discretionary values-based spending decisions. And we don't necessarily want to follow the rules and guidelines. They're broad rules and guidelines, but they aren't going to apply. I mean like rules of thumb? Rules of thumb, I guess you could say. A standard rule of thumb might be to save 10% of your income toward Mm -hmm. retirement. And that may work for you or it may not work for you. And, you know, I think it's a, this is a good place to mention that depending on what stage of life you're in and what your actual financial position in is obviously going to really inform the way you approach each of these areas, right? Because if you make well above average income, then a smaller portion of your overall income is going to be required for your basic expenses. When you think of the things that everybody has to pay for, like you need to pay for transportation. If you own a car or you lease a car, you have to put gas in your car to drive places. Everyone has to pay for some sort of housing. So you're either going to be paying rent or a mortgage. You're going to have some insurance. Everybody needs to eat. So there are all of these categories and the amount you're able to allocate to them is one thing that's going to vary obviously based on your level of income, but also the portion of your overall after-tax income that it occupies is going to be affected. So if you are on the lower end of the income scale, or if you're just starting out, or maybe you're starting a business, if you're younger, then you're probably going to have a larger portion of your income allocated to those basic living expenses And you might not be able to save as much. So I know for me, I have a target of 15% of my money goes into savings, whether it be for retirement or for other savings goals. I want to have at least 15% going into savings. But if you're, again, just starting out or have a lower income, you may not have the ability to. And I wouldn't say that it means you don't value it. It just means that you have to pay for basic living expenses. So I do want to point that out, that if you can't meet what your ideal goals are right now, that's okay. Have Still have it in your mind to work towards, but you obviously have to be realistic. Yes. And that gets back to the point of the budget really is income driven. Mm -hmm. So your income at this point in time is going to dictate how much toward your spending and savings Mm -hmm. can you allocate. I actually think it's really good to maybe if you're in that position that you're describing where you're just starting out or your income is a little bit tight and you can't save as much as you would like or put money toward other things. I encourage people to map out a budget that works for you now based on the income that you have, and then maybe have two other budgets that look toward the future. Like an ideal budget or an aspirational budget, something that you view as as what you would like to be able to do. And if you can slowly work towards that, that's, you know, not a bad idea. When I'm thinking about 
savings being values driven. Like for me, I know that I will probably work in like in what would be traditional retirement. So I don't have mm-hmm. it in my mind that, oh, when I turn 65 and I qualify for Medicare, I don't ever want to work again. That's not something that I have as a goal for myself. That being said, I don't necessarily want to work as much as I do now. So I do have to be saving for the future. I know that, but I want to be able to help my children pay for college. So that is something that I will be paying for because that is a goal that I believe in for myself. Now, I know other people who that is not part of their goal at all for their children to to save for college. They believe that they can go to a less expensive school that they will be able to afford loans for or help cash flow. Or I've heard many times I'll help in whatever way I can, Mm -hmm. but it's not a primary goal for them. Yeah. And there isn't, you know, a right or a wrong answer to these things. It's just about what you personally prioritize. For some people, you know, saving for a very significant down payment, like well in excess of 20% for a house is important because they know they want to be debt-free in, you know, 15 years. They don't want to have more than a 15-year mortgage. For somebody else, putting down that 20% down payment might be just fine and taking a 30-year mortgage or maybe even less if you qualify for a certain type of first-time home buyer loan. So your values and your priorities around debt and debt management could also play into those savings goals. So that's what we mean when savings has to be part of everyone's plan, but how it looks for everybody may be different. That's absolutely true. And you made a great point. And I tend to be more the person you're describing who thinks my children can go to a community college first, or they can go to a state university if that makes sense budget-wise. If they decide to do something different and they want to take on the additional expense, I'm happy to help them navigate that and figure that out. But that isn't a a values-based priority for me personally. But a lot of people with whom I work, that is something that they value. So Hmm. it really is very individualized and there is no right or wrong. There isn't. There are things in maybe some of the other categories that depending on what you choose, they carry more risk or less risk. So the fourth item we mentioned was unplanned expenses or unplanned spending. So this could fall into the category that your emergency savings goes into. I know some people who are like, you know, three months of expenses is is fine for me. Other people who couldn't imagine having less than six months. And I know other people who couldn't have an imagine having less than six figures in cash ready to go for an emergency. So I don't know if this is necessarily values driven, but it's definitely risk tolerance driven, meaning like how comfortable am I with the amount of cash that I have on hand or the amount of cash that I need to have on hand? Yes. And not only that, but I think it comes down to looking at, you know, are you a dual income household? Mm. In that case, you can be more comfortable with a lesser amount in that unplanned expenses category mm-hmm. because the odds of both of you having a reduction in income decreases. Whereas if you're a... Unless we're in a pandemic. Unless we're in a pandemic. <laughs> Unless you both work in the service industry and we're in a pandemic. Yes. And, then... <laughs> and that, to your point, is where the risk comes in. So how uh, comfortable are you with the risk you're taking on? And how big of a risk are you taking on? These are all things that are fluid and flexible and highly individualized. You know, another example, this doesn't necessarily apply to younger people, but definitely applies to a lot of our, our retirement and pre-retirement clients. Mm-hmm when it comes to how they're going to pay for long-term care if needed. 
Long-term care insurance is more expensive than the traditional life insurance we see people buying. Frankly, it's something that no one ever wants to use or need. Mm. Uh, when it comes to life insurance, nobody really wants to die, but we all know what's going to happen. None of us are getting out of here alive, right? So mm-hmm. at least we can accept that in our minds that at some point it's going to happen. But when it comes to having a long-term care need, which means, frankly, you're unable to physically care for yourself, you may need to be in a skilled nursing facility or something like that, or you may have like cognitive impairment. And that's scary for people to wrap their heads around. I know some people who say, absolutely, I want to buy insurance because I want to pick the nicest nursing home I can find for myself. Mm -hmm. And likewise, I know others who practice very specific Medicaid planning strategies because they don't want to pay a penny for their care. They want to make sure that they can spend down to Medicaid and that the state would pay for their care. And it's just a different philosophy about how to deal with that. Well, and another factor that comes into play in in that arena is how important is it to you to leave an inheritance to your children? Mm. Because a lot of times that's a strategy for using insurance to protect against depleting the resources you have that you're intending to leave to your children, grandchildren, whomever you want to leave it to. Yeah. So that is a values-based conversation. It all is. I think people have an easy time when it comes to flexible and discretionary expenses, understanding how those can be values-driven, right? I mean, I know some people who are very, very focused on their health. And so they'll spend plenty of money on gym memberships and classes and the type of food they eat, the supplements that they take, the skincare products they use. Everything is has you know an extreme focus on like buying the best, most natural stuff that's going to help their health because that is a huge priority. And that same person would probably not spend, you know, a lot of money on wine or buy a really expensive high-end bag. And I know other people who they love food and wine and that is where their money is going. I know families who live in very small houses and have very big boats because that's an, <laughs> I'm not kidding because that is an, I live in the, in New England. We have the ocean. You do too, where you are. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, having that it, experience with their family and having this boat, even though they can only use it like four months out of the year, is a really big deal to them. And they would much rather prioritize their dollars in that experience on the boat with their family than in having an expensive house. So everyone has different priorities. And I'm just thinking that's kind of interesting because I mentioned the house and the house is something that I tend to throw into the fixed expenses, but the type of house you have is discretionary to a degree, right? It is because if you value other things and want to allocate your resources toward, if it's really important to you to have your child get private golf lessons because Mm -hmm. that's something you think is going to serve them well, they may have a chance at becoming a professional golfer. I don't know. People spend money where they see value. And perhaps living in a smaller home and having access to those other things is more important. The one area where I think the whole conversation revolves around making sure that you are making intentional, informed values decisions. Because what we don't want to see happen, and what we do see happen, unfortunately, as financial advisors, is people make those decisions. Let's say having a boat is something that is really important or taking vacations, but it's at the expense of their long-term retirement goals. So Mm. they've lived this lifestyle that they really valued in the moment, but they weren't putting the appropriate value on their future. Yeah, And then it comes time to retire and they aren't in a position to do it. And this is where 
actually creating a budget is important because it's one thing to spend your money where your values are, but you have to understand the financial impact of it because this is a math equation and there's only a few variables. And if you have a negative balance at the end, you have to change one of the variables on the other side. We're not the government. We can't just go into deficit spending forever for our budget. That's not how it works. We have to balance it. Otherwise, at some point, mm-hmm. your net worth is like so negative, you're stuck. You can't go into retirement like that. So let's kind of walk mm-hmm. through the steps of putting together a budget. Now that we know what different types of expenses are and how they might may be values driven in each category, let, let's kind of like go through the steps. And the first step has to do with the first item we talked about, which is your income. And we know that your gross income is not your take-home pay. It is not your net income. So understand what your weekly or monthly take-home pay is, is really important because that's telling you what you have to work with. And as much as I would love to just start on my aspirational spending, it has to be realistic based on what you have to work with. Yes. And I think that there are two categories of income in this situation for people who have W-2 type income where you're an employee. It's much easier to determine what is my take-home pay. For the entrepreneur, business owner, sole proprietor, independent contractor, independent contractor, where your income, you have to account for the taxes yourself. This is an area where I see people make mistakes and essentially they are spending what they think is their take-home income, but in reality, they should have been allocating more toward their taxes And so I would highly recommend that if you're in that category of people, you consult with a CPA to really work with them and make sure that you're not overspending. That's a common thing that I see. Yeah, because you have to be able to make your estimated payments on a quarterly basis. There's a lot that goes into it. So I agree. You definitely want to work with the CPA on that so you have good guidance and so that you don't get caught. I mean, it's easy to get caught when you have gross income coming to you in the form of a check. We always suggest that people have separate accounts, one for what they have determined to be what their take-home pay should be, and that's what you have to work with, Mm -hmm. and then the other one be for taxes. And no one was ever upset at the end of the year when they realized that they had paid in more than they needed to for taxes and got some back, right? However, I know plenty of people who have found themselves in a bind when they realized that they had a large tax payment due or there was going to be a penalty because they hadn't paid in enough and, you know, it had gone past the date. So Mm -hmm. you do want to work with a professional on that. Mm -hmm. So after, you know, what you have to work with, Mm -hmm. whether it be your paycheck that you get or the money that you determine you can put aside, you're going to want to figure out, I'm going to look kind of look at the savings piece here, but figure out how much money you need to contribute on a monthly basis to reach your goals. It could be a goal of being debt-free at a certain time, It could be a goal of, you know, retiring at a certain age. I think that a good first goal before any of that stuff is having a good emergency fund. Those are the three big things, honestly, that I think affect most people. There are other goals that are going to be very individualized, very personal. Everyone needs to have an emergency fund. Everyone wants to pay down debt over time, I think, Mm -hmm. (laughs) some faster than others. Mm -hmm. And everyone, I would think, wants to be able to retire at some point or wants to not be beholden to their job. It's very different when you choose to go to work versus when you have to go to work, especially when you're older, right? Absolutely. So how do you do that? How do you figure out what 
to put towards all those goals? And where do you do it? Right. Like logistically. That's the ultimate question. And quite frankly, I think it's why we have a job, right? (laughs) Yeah. So it's math again. It's completely math. And so you work backwards. You look toward what kind of income are you going to need in retirement? Let's just take retirement as an example. Mm -hmm. You target the age at which you would like to retire. You estimate how many years of retirement do you plan on having, which is a little bit morbid because if we could all determine the exact number of years of (laughs) retirement we were going to have, the math works out much better. But for planning purposes, I would say we typically use somewhere in the range of 90 to 95. And frankly, that may be underestimating as our health improves and we're living longer. So most people's retirement lasts roughly 30 or so years. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that when you reach retirement, you have enough saved to last you that 30-year timeframe. Mm -hmm. And of course, you need to look at, do you have, in addition to what you've saved, do you have pension income that you can anticipate in retirement, social security? So any sources of income you have, plus what you've saved is going to sustain you through retirement. And typically, I find that people want to maintain the same lifestyle that they've had well in their working years. You can look at my after-tax income is X. So I need to be able to replicate that after-tax income between my social security, my pension, and what I have to pull from my investments that I've saved toward. Now that might sound like something pretty complicated. And if you are listening to this and you're in your like early thirties, you're saving for retirement, maybe through your company work plan, it sounds kind of daunting. Like that's a lot of calculating to do. And maybe you go onto your 401k plan website and have a little calculator that says, you know, you're falling behind or whatever, (laughs) right? First of all, that calculator doesn't know everything about you. So don't get alarmed by it. They don't know if you have a partner they don't know they really don't know anything. They don't know what else you have in the bank. All they're looking at, just so you know, all they're looking at is assuming that you are going to want to replace 85% of your current income in retirement, regardless of what you make. They're making an assumption about your current earnings, assuming what your social security benefit will be. And they're assuming that you are going to have a modest rate of return and invest the amount of money that you're investing now forever. Now, if you're 32... And looking at this, even if you're 42 and looking at this, chances are some of those variables are going to change over time, right? So don't be alarmed if it says that you're not on track. Also, don't like fall into a false sense of security if it says you are, because if you're making, you know, not a whole lot of money right now and you're hoping to have a bigger life down the road, then, you know, you're going to have to increase down the road as well. I do think that, you know, saving for retirement can be daunting because of rules of thumb, like you should be saving 15% of your income. And when you look at all the other areas of your budget, especially if you're a younger person just starting out or trying to run a business, you might feel like there's no possible way I could save that much and still pay my bills. And I still think it's better to save something than nothing. So just because you can't do it perfectly, don't let that get in the way of you doing it imperfectly. I think doing something imperfectly like this is better than not doing it at all. Most definitely. And that honestly is where the rules of thumb come into play because you and I can sit here and do all of the calculations with regard to rate of return, time horizon, Mm -hmm. retirement target date, all of these things. But the rule of thumb is if you're saving 15% of your income, you should be heading in the right direction. Generally speaking, yes, I agree Mm -hmm. with you. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you think about 
everything you need to allocate to savings for the stuff we just talked about. So what you need to put into your emergency fund. And if you know that you want to have, I don't know, six months of savings, just do the math. And again, it doesn't have to be six months of income. It needs to be six months of your like necessary expenses. So assume that if you were an emergency, you're not going shopping, you're not eating fancy dinners, you're just paying your bills and maybe having pizza on a Friday night. If you're in an emergency situation, you've lost a job or you've had to take time out because of an illness, you know, you're not going to be living your grand life the way you normally do. So it's not income, it's expenses. So do remember that. But once you've figured out how much money you need to put away on a regular basis for those savings goals, you can now subtract them from your income. And then what you have left from there is what you have to work with for your fixed and discretionary expenses. So now that's a big deal because we really took pay yourself first to the next level and said, we are going to go through, do our goals, allocate what's needed. And now this is our new income to work with rather than saying, well, what do I need for rent? What do I need for electric? What, okay, what's left over at the end? That's what we'll put into savings. We're doing it the opposite way, making the assumption that those savings goals are really important to you and really reflect your values and who you are. I would also suggest that within there, in some families, charitable giving I would say takes the same amount of priority as those savings categories do. I know in some families, it's non-negotiable what goes to charity in their families, whether it's their church or their synagogue or some other charity. It's it's part of the fabric of who they are, that X percent of income goes to there. So you can work that into there as well if you wanted to. And the other point I would make with all of those savings goals and charitable contributions that you're making is to automate it. Because by Shifting in a way from a manual decision-making process on a monthly basis and simply saying it lands in my checking account and I have a transfer out to my IRA or Mm. before it even lands in my checking account, it's going into my 401k at work. By automating those things, it becomes habitual Mm -hmm. and you adapt and adjust and it gets to the point where you don't even think of it anymore. And and it's just happening for you. you. You will be far more successful that way. This is why the 401k works like through your employer, because we think of our net take-home pay. We don't think of our gross pay, right? Like I don't think about what my gross income is. I think about what is going into my checking account. And that's what I base all my decisions off of. So you can create that for yourself, the way Lauren just said, by having your own automatic deductions on certain dates. I mean, I like the idea of automating your paying your bills. I like the idea of automating your savings. I know there are some other people who, when it comes to paying bills, especially when it comes to paying down debt, they say pay it manually so you know it's happening, so you remember it and it like keeps you from going into debt again. I don't like that. I like the idea of having it on auto pay. So I know the way the math problem works out. I'll never have a late payment. Well, and that's why I find with working with people on this, the fixed expenses are so much easier to deal with because typically we those are automated. Mm-hmm. Our mortgage payment is automatically drafted out of our bank account. Mm-hmm. A lot of times our utility bills are automatically paid, whether it's mm-hmm. on a credit card or out of a bank account. So those components are just so automatic that you really don't have to think about them. And those are the ones that we can easily identify. I don't know about you, Donna, but I find that people can tell me how much they are spending on utilities and how much their car payment is and how much their insurance is and their mortgage, but they have a very hard time determining 
how much they're spending on groceries or clothing or the other necessity items, but aren't something that is necessarily fixed. And so if you find yourself that you've gotten to this point in the budgeting process and you're looking at what's left and saying, oh, this isn't as much as I thought it was going to be. When I look at what has to go to housing, when I look at what has to go to transportation, now I have to be really specific, very intentional about the way I spend the rest of my money. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all to be intentional about the way you're spending your money because if you actually looked at it and said, oh my gosh, I spend this much on food on a weekly basis, you might be surprised. If you look at how much you spend at CVS or whatever your drugstore is near you on a weekly basis, you might be surprised. And I like to call Target the black hole of spending for most people because (laughs) you you go in there for toothpaste and uh, some coffee and maybe a replacement light bulb, and you come out with pillows with pumpkins on them, and new air freshener, and whatever was in that $3 bin when you walked in, right? So that can turn into a black hole of spending. So if you go in there knowing what you want to spend, this is not entertainment, unless you're going to like the casino, then you're spending money on entertainment. If you're Mm -hmm. buying tickets, that's entertainment. Going to Target shouldn't be entertainment. Going to the grocery store, if you're looking at your budget, and starting to feel like it gets tight, then you need to be conscientious about those areas where you have flexibility in spending. And if you need to look at spending less on stuff, then look at spending less on stuff. And hey, it's trendy right now. Have you seen the home edit on Netflix? It is trendy to not spend money on stuff. <laughs> I haven't seen that. I'll have to check it Declutter. out. You need to check it out. So it's following the whole idea of home organization and not necessarily minimalism, but editing what you have, looking at how much stuff you don't actually use and just simplify. And that's honestly one of the great things that has come out of 2020 and the pandemic is I mm. think we have as a society shifted away from that browsing, casual shopping that we were accustomed to and really are online ordering specifically the items that we need. Yeah. And another another strategy that someone shared with me that I found quite effective is go to Target 30 minutes before they close because at least you're giving <laughs> yourself a time cap on how much you can throw in the cart in 30 minutes. Well, you know, one of the best things was starting to order curbside pickup because I knew that's how I did my kids' school supplies and stuff like that. And I didn't get caught up buying extra things. I know online ordering can be a double-edged sword in that regard, right? Because on the one hand, Instagram's just telling you to buy things. But on the other hand, if you're going to do your grocery order online, if you're going to do your target order online, whatever it is, you're not going to be sidetracked by the shiny things along the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't fall into that, uh, that syndrome of when a dog sees a squirrel every time you walk by something cool. So mm-hmm. it can be helpful in that way. But, you know, I was just thinking too, even when it comes to fixed expenses, I think sometimes we consider things fixed expenses that are not. Like if you go through and audit all of your subscriptions and stuff like that, I mean, you don't really need all of them, do you? When I actually look at my own, that can be hard. (laughs) It can Mm -hmm. be troubling. Like I don't really need all those. And that was one of the things that I did during COVID because I was just realizing how much stuff I had. And I was like, this isn't necessary. So as much as I love FabFitFun, I think we've got enough. You got rid of fit and fun in this house. You got rid of fab fit fun. I mean, I still have stuff that I haven't used. So yeah, (laughs) yes, I did. Yeah. I stopped that box. I, I had mistakenly gotten myself a subscription to cause box. I just wanted one and I ended up with the year of subscription. So after those four, I didn't renew again. 
I was going to stop Ipsy, but it automatically renewed for the year and like the whole thing came out. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to get that. Mm -hmm. So I'm still getting my Ipsy. And, uh, but the reason I loved those was for the travel size stuff and now they're not traveling. So it's kind of a bummer, but they'll be there when we travel again. Right. So I think just kind of going through and really asking yourself, all right. And so that is what I asked myself was what is the value coming from this? How is this how is choosing these things? And this can go for digital subscriptions as well. I mean, like, do I really need this? Is this helping me in some way? How much joy am I getting out of this? And if you're not, edit it right out. Mm-hmm. If you find that you're overspending on frivolous stuff, I mean, go through your email subscriptions and unsubscribe from like everything. Because if it's not in your face, if it's, if it's not prompting you, you're less likely to go out and spend, right? Absolutely. That's a strategy I've certainly used where I don't need to know when everything is on sale at Anthropology. But then every time every time you buy something, you get back on that list and have to unsubscribe again. But and what if you miss a good deal? This uh, year that happened to me actually. So I buy my clothes in a pretty intentional way, actually. I'm petite, so I need stores that have petite sizes. There's only a few. So there's like three stores that I get my clothes from for work. And twice a year, I buy clothes based mm-hmm. on their end of season sales. And this year, of course, everything's like 70% off. And I was like, oh, that's a great price. And I was like, when am I going to wear this stuff? I have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't shop. Good for you. Good for me, bad for the economy. But well, yeah. I know that's always so, the dilemma is, is everything we're describing is a little bit bad for the economy as far as shopping goes. We're a consumer-driven economy. However, there are so many things, back to the clothing, I have purchased things because it was a good deal. And it's not a good deal if you don't use it. <laughs> no, I just cleaned out my closet and there were several items with tags still on it. I'm embarrassed yeah. to admit that, but it's true. So I would say, and when we tend to think about this budgeting, saving, I go back to my very early years of parenthood where finances are usually tight when you're young, mm. having children, lots of things to think about. And those diapers. Yes. And that's what got me started, the coupon clipping with the diapers. And then you get in that mentality. And I think what we don't realize, it's the same mentality people have about using their credit card that earns them points. What you really want to think about is, and this gets back to the values-based spending, is this something that gives me joy or I really need? And no matter how good a deal it is or how much you're saving off of regular price, you don't make those purchases unless it aligns with your values. Now, I also want to be clear that what we're advocating for in this is not to not spend money. It's to spend money with intention. So if if you have as part of your budget, you know, just, and I think you should have as part of your budget, as long as you can afford it, like fun spending, spending that's just on, you know, things that you love, then spend the money. That's fine. As long as you have first said, what are my other values that are really important? And am I accomplishing the goals related to those? The goals related to our future, the goals related to your family, the goals related to the way you want to give because of what you care about, all of those sort of things. I know so, so many people, and I myself have fallen into this category on more than one occasion at different times. We are I have stuff that goes into automatic saving for retirement and for college. And then beyond that, I'm like, you know what? I know that I'm spending less than I make. If I don't have to charge stuff on a credit card, then I'm I'm okay. And that's not untrue as long as I've, you know, first gone in and said I'm saving for retirement, I've, we're doing things, we're on track, then I haven't really paid attention to my money. 
because I just didn't want the stress of it or I was busy. But the fact is I can, you can do so much better with your resources when you're paying attention to them, really looking at where they're going. You will spend your money more intentionally when you write things down. Lauren, you've brought this up before that, you know, you're so much more likely to meet your goals when you're writing them down. So if you're having trouble figuring out where your money's going, if you're having trouble sticking to the budget you have in your mind, track your spending by actually writing it down. In the same way you track your food, if you're trying to lose weight or trying to be more healthy or trying to count macros or whatever you're doing for yourself, Mm -hmm. in that same way that you're more successful, you'll be more successful with your intentional spending as well. That's what we're advocating for is just being aware and intentional with the choices that you're making. I also think you'll feel happier about sticking with a budget if you know that your money is being allocated to your priorities. So the idea of budgeting just sounds really like a drag to me. It sounds so Mm -hmm. boring or just tedious, I suppose. But if you are trying to accomplish a goal and you're tracking it and you can look at it and say, we have a goal to be debt-free in three years. And if this is what my true value is, then I am not going to go out to eat. I'm going to reallocate that money over to my debt-free goal and be excited when you see the balance go down, right? Mm -hmm. So it can really reframe the activity or reframe the situation for you into something that's great. Kind of the way I said, you have to reframe wearing a mask. So (laughs) someone said to, to my son, Connor, who plays basketball, like, oh, I know wearing a mask sucks, but it's just part of what we have to do. And I said, you know what, buddy? We're going to love our masks because our masks allow us to go play basketball. Because if we didn't have masks, you wouldn't be playing basketball. If you didn't have a mask, we wouldn't be going out. So let's embrace our mask and what it's allowing us to do. And that's how... I would look at the budget spending too. (laughs) Same thing. And I'm going to use my son as an example here. I think I said to him the other day, do you really need that as a part of your diet? And he looked at me and he goes, I'm not on a diet, mom. And I said, oh, you think of a diet as something restrictive, paying attention to what you're Mm -hmm. consuming. And I said, you have a diet, whether or not you're aware of it. The question is, do you know your diet is just the makeup of what it is you're choosing to eat? A budget is no different. Everyone has a budget. It's just, are you aware of it and directing it and using it for the things you want to be using it for? Or is it directing you? Yeah. Is it serving you or is it directing you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really good way to put it. And I think that's a good way to close. Is your budget serving you or is it directing you? And I'd say that if you feel like it's directing you, this is a great time to step back take a real look at it, run through your expenses, do what we talked about, comparing it to your after-tax income, and really ask yourself, if I look at where my money's going, is it going to the things that I value? And if it's not, this is your opportunity to reshape it before you get into a new year because it is coming. (laughs) And I think that's a great way to approach things at this point. I'm going to try and take another look at mine, especially since we're on, you know, variable income, making sure that you're being kind of conservative with it, mm-hmm. with your spending, so that you'll always be able to be directing it towards your values-based goals mm-hmm. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And we really value you listening to us and hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram at life underscore rebalanced. And we'd love to hear from you there too. So send us your messages.
Yeah. In fact, we decided to do this episode because we got a DM about budgeting, which was, you know, kind of shocking to me at first. But yes, we can talk about budgeting. (laughs) We can totally talk about it. This is what we do. So um, if there's something that you have a question about or you want to hear us talk about uh, or just think is an interesting idea, please share it with us or let us know what you think of the show. So happy budgeting. Reach out and be well. Thank you.